Well, again, it's, it's really great to be with you all today. Uh, what, a, what a privilege and a blessing to have all those young kids uh, being dedicated to the Lord. Um, amazing. So many of these families I haven't seen in such a long time. And so um, it's so great to see everybody together in the midst of a little bit of a chaos. Um, I can say uh, I, I missed it. So uh, really amazing. God is so good. Um, and, of course, I think a lot of us know uh, this, is, this is a really special Sunday because not only uh, do we get to honor all of these, these young, young children, uh, babies today, uh, we also get to honor moms, or honor our moms today, uh, at least in a lot of the Western world. Uh, today is Mother's Day. And, of course, of course, um, here in Korea, uh, yesterday was Parents' Day. So I don't know if that was intentional. Maybe that was on purpose. I'm not sure. Um, but I just want to say to all you moms here, um, all of you moms watching online, um, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. We love you. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, happy Parents' Day. I guess I'll just go through all of the, all of the, the parents. And don't worry, dads. Okay, we'll say, we, we'll say that we love you, too, next month. All right? You just got to wait. All right, but we, but we appreciate you too, don't worry. Um, I also want to acknowledge, though, uh, just before uh, we, we, we continue, uh, that, that for many of us, uh, for many of us in this, in this gathering, um, you watching online, for many of us, today is a really hard day. Uh, it's a really hard day, and, and for many reasons. Uh, maybe you're here, uh, maybe you're here and, and you have lost a child. Maybe you uh, are here today and you've lost your, your mother. Um, maybe you're here uh, today and you don't ha- really even have a relationship uh, with your mom. Uh, your, your relationship with your mother is, is broken. Uh, and then, of course, um, there, there are certainly a, a number of those in our community uh, who, who want to be moms. Uh, they, they, they hope to be moms, uh, but that hasn't been a reality for, for you yet. Uh, and then there are those in our community who have chosen not to be moms. Um, so I realize that today comes with a lot of different emotions, uh, and all of our situations are, are very different. And, and so my goal here today uh, is really simple, really simple. I'm going dis- to discuss uh, with you all uh, the marks of a godly mother. Uh, I'm just going to share the truth of God's word, <laughs> try to lay emotions out of, out of the way, uh, and just lay out before you what the scriptures say uh, about what it looks like to be a faithful mom. And in doing that, uh, my hope, my hope is that wherever you find yourself today, whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance might be, male or female, even for the guys here, um, that you'll be encouraged by the truth of God's word. And so with that said, um, if you have a Bible with you today, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We certainly see a lot of great women in the Bible, a lot of great moms throughout the scriptures. But when the Bible uh, details the honor due to a mother, it's really hard to look past uh, the person of Hannah. And we meet her here in 1 Samuel. The name Hannah, if you're not familiar, it means beauty. Uh, It means grace. And she, I hope you'll see Uh, today, she indeed is a picture of just that, godly beauty and godly grace. And this is her her story. So let me just set the scene for you. As the book of 1 Samuel opens, 
we know that it's the period of the judges in Israel's history. Okay, that can get a little confusing because the order of the English Bible. But the Hebrew Bible, Judges, is there, and then immediately we turn into 1 Samuel. So that's how this lays out. We're in the time of the Judges, which means there, there's not yet a king in Israel. Uh, and it's a time of deep confusion and turmoil. The people, we are told, are, are, are totally immoral. Their religious practice has grown cold. The priesthood, uh, even, even they were all corrupt. And with the death, and with the death of a man named Samson, um, who was le- leading the nation at that time, the country was divided and leaderless. It was a dark time in Israel. And so the nation needed a great leader. They were desperate for a great leader. And so 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel is written, at least partially, to give us an account of the rise of one of those leaders. His name was Samuel, one of the greatest godliest men who ever walked the earth. And what we learn about Samuel is that Samuel was not just the product of the work of God. Of course, primarily he was. But also, he was the product of a godly mother. His mother, Hannah. Who became a mother, we're going to see, who became a mother by faith. And who gives us great insight into what it means and looks like to be a great mom. And so through her story, through Hannah's story this morning, I'm going to show you today four marks, four marks uh, of a godly mother. Uh, and as a side note, uh, most of you know uh, that I typically like to read through, or we typically hear, uh, like to read through the entirety of the text and then work v- uh, through it verse by verse. Uh, but today, because a lot of this is a narrative, I'm just going to be paraphrasing parts of the text just for the sake of time. And so it's important, it's going to be important for you to have a copy of God's word uh, with you today, uh, right in front of you today, so that you can co- go through this narrative with me. Well, um, we'll start even before we read the scripture. I'm just going to give you the first mark. The first mark that I want you to see and know about great moms, godly moms, is that they aren't without problems. Um, We're going to start there. Um, Godly mothers aren't without problems. Some of you raise your eyebrows. What is he going to say? Um, Hang in there. Um, In other words, what I mean by that is that the, the qualification or characteristic of a godly mom is not that they have it all figured out. Uh, It's not that they have it all together. It's not that they are perfect and live a life without challenges, that they live lives without any sort of difficulty or or struggle. You know, sometimes, I was thinking about this this week, sometimes, even I, uh, when I think about uh, characters in the Bible, and maybe you do the same, uh, these biblical heroes of the faith, um, we, we think of them as people without problems, Almost like they glow in the dark or something, right? That they just walked around with, with halos. Um, but here's what we know as, as we read through the scriptures again and again, is that people are people, and every single life has problems. And if you look at Hannah's story, uh, we see that that's certainly the case uh, for her. As you open First Samuel, you see uh, Hannah's name there. You can read it in verse 1 through 2. And the text tells us, that she's married, and she's married to a, a man named Elkanah. Okay, Elkanah, that's how you pronounce that. And in just the first two verses, we see some of the struggles that Hannah is facing. 
First of all, at the end of verse 2, it says this, but Hannah had no children. We highlight that first. In other words, Hannah uh, had, a, had a problem with infertility. She couldn't have children. Um, and we're going to see, uh, as we go through the story, that that is a deep desire of her heart. And because she can't have children, but desires children, it's causing her a lot of emotional pain, a lot of deep emotional heartache. Um, and of course, uh, we know at this time, particularly in Jewish culture, that this was the hope for all families, that children were, were seen, viewed as being a direct blessing of God, a gift from the Lord. And so the philosophy was, the more the better. The, the more kids, the more blessing from God. And but because of that, because of that thinking, the opposite was also true in the culture. That not being able to have children was seen, uh, unfortunately, basically as being cursed. It was seen as being afflicted, which Hannah addresses herself. If you want insight into how important it was for a Jewish woman to have children, um, I, I encourage you to, to read through the Old Testament, but particularly one person, I think, gives us great insight of how hard it was to be a mom without kids. If you go back to the book of Genesis and read about the story of Rachel, Rachel married to a man named Jacob, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, father Abraham, who had many sons, okay? Um, she, too, Rachel, too, struggled to have children, and she cannot handle it to the point so devastated because of the cultural pressure, she says to her husband these words, give me children or what? Or I'll die. That's what she says. It was everything, everything for a woman to have kids. It gave them purpose. It gave them an identity. And if you couldn't and didn't have kids, they thought of themselves as nothing. Again, as cursed. And of course, let's be really clear here this morning. Of course, we know that that's not true. That's not biblical. It never has been. But that's the culture. That was the culture. And therefore, what Hannah faced as we enter into this story. But to make matters worse, she faced another really big challenge, another problem that was related to her inability to have kids. Uh, You see, it was Jewish custom that if a wife couldn't or didn't have children within the first 10 years of marriage, that the husband had permission, had the right to either get a divorce or get a second wife. And that's likely what we actually see happen here in this story. Because we also see in the text that Hannah's husband uh, has another wife. Uh, Penina was her name. And in verse 4, we see that Penina has kids, has children with Elkanah, and she actually has a bunch with him. Multiple sons, multiple daughters. And to make matters even worse, she constantly, she continually reminded Hannah about that fact, about that reality. Look at verses 6 through 7 of 1 Samuel 1. It says this, And her rival, Hannah's rival, Penina, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her 
Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. So we see Hannah's troubles here, her pain, her problems. She can't have kids, which was devastating. Her husband has married another woman, likely because of that reality. Must be pretty tough, yeah? And then on top of that, that woman, that second wife, has kids with her husband and is reminding Hannah about that hurt, that reality, on purpose, continually. Try to put yourself in Hannah's shoes. Maybe, maybe some of you here today and maybe watching online, maybe some of you have hurt like Hannah. Maybe some of you can relate to Hannah. Maybe for some of you, uh, kids was, or having kids was a struggle for you. For some of us, some of you, maybe it still is. I I did a little bit of research this week. Did you know that, uh, I was shocked by this. Did you know that infertility affects so many more couples than we would ever know? One out of eight couples, actually. Um, Cannot have kids, won't have kids. 12%. That's a lot. That's a lot. I don't think we talk about that enough uh, within the church. I think we're very unaware of that. And so, uh, as I said just a bit ago, uh, maybe you're in that place. And today, you, you, you thought about even coming today. Like, should I be here today or should I turn it on today? It's Mother's Day. What's he going to say? Oh, no, and it's going to be a Mother's Day sermon. Today is tough for you because this either was or now is part of your reality. You're struggling uh, with having kids. You're struggling being childless on Mother's Day for whatever reason. Maybe because you're single and not yet married, you want kids. Or maybe because you are married and have not have been able to have kids. And so let me, let me tread really carefully here. Um, I, I mulled this over for a while. We won't stay here long. But th- this, is not, this is not my attempt to diminish your pain, to lessen your struggle, uh, to diminish your, your heartache. It's also not an attempt to say everything's okay, it'll be fine, or or just to pass by this issue or your pain quickly. But I I at least need to say, and I I want you to know, uh, you're you're not alone. And I want you to know that your your value and worth uh, as a person, uh, as a woman, uh, isn't dependent on your ability to have children. You know, I thought about it because of this point this week. I thought about this, and I was amazed. I've never really thought about this. Have you, have you ever read through scriptures and thought how many women of faith have been in that same place, struggled with having kids? How many women throughout the scriptures? Did you ever consider that? Think about it. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Ruth, Elizabeth, Hannah. You go on and on and on. These women, these hall of faith women. These women who the Bible, again and again, they are examples of godly women, women of the faith. Every single one of them struggled to have kids. I was shocked by that. So, please believe, please believe you are not more loved, you are not less loved, you're not blessed more or blessed less if you do have or don't have kids here today. You got to hear that. Um, No, it's easier said than done. But you got to believe that. That's the truth. And honestly, um, again, I I thought about this. This topic deserves much more attention than I'm giving it here. Could be a whole sermon on this. Uh, But we're going to move on because the the point that I'm just trying to make here today that I want all of us to see is that even the godliest women struggle. 
Even the godliest mothers, all women, even the godliest among us face difficulty and deal with problems in our lives. And Hannah here had some very specific ones. Her husband has another wife. That woman is treating her miserably and she can't have children, which she desires. And so this is Hannah's situation. Okay? This is her, her plot at this point in life. Now, I, I want to be fair to Elkanah okay, before I move on. Because some of you heard, it's like, he married another woman. Like, how, what, that guy, you know, who is he? You know, I want to be fair to him. Uh, by, by taking a second wife, he was actually doing uh, what was not just cultural, but also permissible. Not ideal, uh, but allowed in that society, in Jewish society. And the text does seem to indicate very clearly that overall, overall, again, with his own problems, but overall, he was a really good man, a good, loving husband. And that brings me to my second point uh, today. Uh, number two, godly mothers often have godly husbands, okay? Um, I know it's a Mother's Day sermon, but we'll address guys for a second. Godly mothers often have godly husbands. Now, notice I said the word often there, okay? That's there on purpose, okay? Uh, Because it's not a requirement, okay? So you got to hear me. You got to hear me. It's not a requirement. There are exceptions, of course. Um, You don't need to have a great husband. You don't need to have a godly husband to be a godly mother. But it certainly helps. Um, and I'll even go as far to say it's God's hope and plan for the family. It's his desire. And there are a few indicators in our text uh, that point to the type of man that Elkanah was. First of all, in verse 3, it says that he would go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. And so we see here he was a man who was devoted to the Lord. He was a worshiping man. He believed and trusted in God. And we know as well that he wasn't just a devoted man, but he was leading his family in that direction as well. Because if you look down, or I'm not going to put it on the screen, but if you look at verse 7, it says that the family was regularly in the house of the Lord. And so Hannah has a godly husband. He was leading, attempting to lead his family to follow the Lord. And again, while it's not impossible, uh, it's certainly much easier, I would say, to be a godly mother, to raise up your children in the way that they should go, if you have the support of a godly father. Not only that, not only do we see that Elkanah loves the Lord, we also see that he loves Hannah, deeply loves her, actually. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says this, On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, that's one of the times that he took the trip to Shiloh to to worship, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. And listen, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. I know this sounds harsh, what I'm about to say sounds harsh, but the implication actually here in the scriptures is that Elkanah didn't really love Peninnah. Uh, Again, this sounds crazy to think about this in our culture. Uh, But he married her. The implication is that he married her solely for the purpose of giving him the children that Hannah couldn't have to create a future for his family, uh, to leave an inheritance for his family. And so the scriptures here are pretty clear. Hannah is the one that he loved. Um, It was always supposed to be Hannah. Um, He loved Hannah, wanted to be with Hannah 
wished he had a family with Hannah. Um, loved her, but he, and he didn't hide that. He didn't hide that. The text says that he would give a double portion to Hannah, and that was something that was happening publicly. Double portion, meaning meat, food, okay? And you have to understand, again, that sounds interesting to us, right? It's like we're, you're eat, we're at barbecue or something like that, all of us, and it's like you get two slices of pork. You know, like for us, like, oh, you love me that much? Like how many women here would be like, oh, my husband gave me two strips of, you know, two portions of sombrat salt, right? No, we would, it's not like that. Okay, maybe some of you would be like, I feel so loved by that. <laughs> you would feel deeply loved by that. Some of you would be like, uh, I don't know if you really, you really love me. Um, but in Middle Eastern culture, the more portions given, you have to understand this, the more portions given, the more honor, the more care, and the more love that is being shared. So this is very significant, actually, what it says here in the text. And so Hannah, Hannah again, she was the one who had Alkanah's heart. She had his heart. And it was not just emotional love. It was kind and thoughtful. It was considerate. You see that here. It was the kind of love that sacrificed. He deeply and truly loved her. And and we see again, we see that in the way that he cares for her as well. We've mentioned already that this woman, Peninnah, his second wife, would, would harass Hannah. It's the, the scriptures say that she would provoke her, sort of poke at her. And it was so harsh. It was so harsh that Hannah, she didn't know what to do. She would just weep. She was so devastated by her situation, her circumstance, that she couldn't even eat, it says. But look at Elkanah's response to that. Certainly, this is not an easy situation for him, even though he created it. But imagine that family dinner table, okay? He's there, and look at what he does. He says to Hannah this, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? It's verse eight. Now this is tough. Um, in English, that reads a little bit like arrogant, doesn't it, in some ways? It's almost like he's saying, like if, if a guy said this today in English, like, come on, girl, all right, aren't I better than 10 sons? Like, I'm, you know, like, it doesn't sound like you got me. What else, what more do you need, right? I'm all that you need, right? Like, why are you crying? Like, look at me, you know, I mean, you know, you have me. That's not what's going on here at all, okay? So let's be clear about that as well. Um, this reads and is, this is deep, heartfelt sympathy being shared. It's sincere love, sincere care. It's genuine concern. He was being sensitive here to her needs, truly listening to her heart. He knew, he knew, of course he did. He knew the conflict and problems that she faced. He was part of causing them. He knew the pain, and I'm sure shared in some of that pain with her. Again, he loves Hannah, Wish she was having children with Hannah. And so he was tender and thoughtful, and he felt her feelings here in his own heart. That's what's going on here. And so again, I, again, I, I know it's Mother's Day. I know it's Mother's Day, but I share the character of Hannah's husband here just to make the point, just to say this, that the soil is really right here. The soil is really healthy here. The soil is good 
in terms of the ability to produce a godly mother. She has a good husband. He loves the Lord. He loves her. He's leading her and he deeply cares for her. And oftentimes, not always, but often, if you see a godly mother, there's also a godly, loving, supportive husband next to her, partnering with her. Of course, we know the reverse is true. See a godly husband, it's often a godly woman partnering with him. So all women should desire that, should desire that kind of man. Number three, number three, godly mothers have the right perspective. Godly mothers have the right perspective. Back to the story, we enter back into it. Hannah, again, she's really struggling. She has the support of her husband. But this is, again, it's a very dark and difficult situation for her. And so, what is her response? What is her response? It's verses 9 through 10. Listen. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. She got up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed. So she goes into the temple. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And so we see in the midst of her pain, we see that Hannah knows where to go. She knew where to go. She goes to the temple. We see that the high priest, Eli, is there. And though she is crushed, devastated, feeling broken and defeated, what is her response? She prays. With tears, she pours her heart out before the Lord. She takes all her sorrow, her struggle to God. And there's actually so much that I could say about this section of scripture, but I'm only going to take the time to to briefly show you uh, what Hannah does here reveals such great faith, but also an incredible, incredibly godly perspective. Of course, uh, the the first sign uh, of that here, right, right from the start, having this godly perspective is just the simple fact that she prays. Her first response is to pray. Her trouble leads her to the Lord. I want you to notice this. I think it's an important detail. I think it's on purpose. Notice here, she doesn't fight back with Penina. Notice that. Some of you ladies, you're listening, whatever. Your husband, there's another wife there, and she's picking on you. Some of you would, oh, how dare, you know, you strike back. No. No, no. That's not Hannah's response. Notice as well, she doesn't even talk to, the, talk to the other wife. Not only that, she doesn't turn and complain to her husband either. Look at that. She doesn't even cast blame on him. She just goes to the Lord. It's incredible character. And as she prays, as she prays, who does she pray to? It's verse 11. And she vowed a vow and said this, O Lord of hosts, Lord of hosts, she says. That's, a, that's on purpose. There's great faith here from Hannah. She cries out to the Lord of hosts. She uses on purpose the name of God that declares his power and his sovereign authority. She's using the name of God that declares his Rule his authority over all of the heavenly armies. She's acknowledging here in her prayer, God, you can and have the ability 
to open my womb. That's what she's actually doing. So there is great, great faith here. And her faith is also revealed in the fact that she continues to pray. In other words, this is continual prayer. You see that in verse 12. She's not just there for a moment. She's there continually begging God, asking God, pouring herself out before the Lord. Not only that, we see that there's great humility about Hannah, great humility in her character. Back to verse 11, she prays this, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your who? Servant. And remember me and not forget your, and again, servant. So this is true humility here. She's saying, I'm distressed. I'm in pain. I'm your servant, meaning you are my master. You are my Lord. So please, she's saying, please choose to look upon me. You don't have to because you're God. I'm not. But please look upon me. Please choose to hear me. I am low. You are high. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve anything. But listen to me, God. And then I love this last part. I love it. She has great faith, great humility, but also we see she has God's purposes in mind. God's purposes in mind. And I believe that this, above all else, shows Hannah's perspective. She says at the end of verse 11, look at this. It's so amazing. She says, Lord, if you give me a son, most high God, if you give me a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. You see, Hannah, Hannah was first and foremost about God's glory and his kingdom purposes. Think about this. Her heart was broken over the fact that she could not have a child but she didn't have a selfish motive. She didn't want, in other words, she didn't want a child to live out her unfulfilled fantasies. She didn't want children to fulfill her, fulfill her own need for love. She didn't even want a child for herself, a child to keep. She wanted a child to give to God incredible that little last part there about no razor touching his head not cutting his hair uh, that that little piece there is what's called is part of what's called a nazarite vow it was a commitment we see this in the old testament it was a commitment to literally give the entirety of your life over to god complete service to the lord Uh, you, You would give up all worldly things, okay? So you weren't cutting your hair. Um, you weren't worried about your clothes or your appearance at all. You were giving up, up going to any of those big banquets and the celebrations. You wouldn't partake. Um, you, you, no wine, no personal indulgence at all. And that's the promise Hannah makes here to God. God, I want this child not for me, but for you. He will be yours. He'll be yours. And and let me say this. That's the perspective every single one of us should have as parents or as future parents. 
In so many ways, this, I believe, this is the essence of what it means to be a godly mother, to have the perspective, to know that, yes, children are given by God, but also that they are to be given back to God. They are his to be used for his glory and his purposes. While she prays, she pours her heart out before the Lord. And then she leaves the temple. And I want you to, again, look at her faith. Look at her faith. Look at her confidence, even. Verse 18, then the woman, that's Hannah, went her way. She left the temple and ate. She wouldn't eat before. Now she starts eating food. And then look at this. And her face was no longer sad, or the word downcast. Simple words there, little detail at the end of verse 18, but profound. She trusted the Lord. She went before the Lord sad, but she went out glad. She goes into the presence of God with no peace, but comes out of the temple with a peace that surpasses all understanding. Hannah had great faith. She had a patient faith. She turned her situation over to the Lord. It's in his hands. Because listen, what else could she do? And what else, in so many cases, what else can we do? She didn't even remain frustrated. She just trusts the Lord. Well, the story goes on to tell us that shortly after this prayer, um, the miracle happens. Hannah gets pregnant. Finally. Likely, it's been years and years, maybe even over 10 years. Heartache, so much waiting. She gets pregnant, and the text tells us that she has a son, and she names him Samuel, which means God hears. So she cries out to God in the temple, Lord, listen to me, hear me. He hears, so she names her son God hears. Fitting name. God hears, God listens. And what is her response to that? What's her response? It's 1 Samuel 2, 1. It says, my heart exalts in the Lord. She goes into a song of praise, actually. Hannah turns to praise. Because she was a woman of praise. She rejoices in the Lord. She's full of joy and she thanks God here. Hannah has such a beautiful heart. Such a godly woman. So full of faith. If you've ever studied the book of James, I'm going through a book study with a group of people now, going through verse by verse through the book of James. Um, You know, or if you've read through it, studied it, you know that it's all about showing us what it means to live a life of true faith. The whole thing. Again and again, James, the apostle James, tells us the characteristics of genuine true faith. And here is one of those characteristics. James chapter 5, verse 13 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. That's Hannah, right? It's Hannah. In her struggle, amidst the problems she faced, her response was to go to the Lord, pray. And in her joy, in, in, this, in this miracle that happened to her, her response 
She sings. She praises the Lord. Meaning, regardless of her situation, this is true for all with genuine faith, regardless of her situation, she was going to the Lord. She's an amazing example of a godly person, a godly woman, a godly mom. Uh, And then we're going to close here uh, this morning, number four, point four, the fourth mark, godly mothers have the right priorities. Not only do they have the right perspective, they also have the right priorities. So the story tells us that Samuel is born, okay? Miracle happens, he's born, and then it's time once again, the time comes once again to go to the house of the Lord, to go to Shiloh, to worship the Lord. This has happened several times throughout the year. Um, It was a couple-week journey, actually. Uh, You'd go there to make vows and to offer sacrifices to God, Elkanah is going to go. Um, it's his, his duty as a committed uh, follower of the Lord. He's going. But what does Hannah do? Look at verse 22. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that, that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. So we see from Hannah here, it's interesting, Hannah stays behind. She doesn't go with her husband and the rest of the family. She makes it a point and priority to care for her son, Samuel. And the point of the text, and my my point here today, before you run off here on on this thinking, my point here today is not to try to convince you uh, or to even say biblically that uh, that godly women should all stay home. Okay, That's not what I'm point I'm trying to make. Um, I don't think that that's what this is actually even necessarily saying, and therefore it's not my perspective in this text either. You have to actually understand what it means to, to wean. Okay? We all have an idea of what that means. It probably means something more than you think. You see, to wean um, in this culture, it meant much more than just physical care and physical nursing. Um, that is certainly part of this. But we know in Jewish culture that weaning is not just, was not just a physical thing. It was also a spiritual thing. That weaning involved both the physical care, absolutely, but also spiritual training. And by the way, um, just so we have context, weaning in this day was typically between three and six years. Okay? That's the weaning process. Okay? Things have changed, right? <laughs> Things have changed. Three to six years of this. And so when I say godly mothers have right priorities... Yes, I I do think there's an aspect of truth in saying that moms, mothers, should prioritize providing for the physical needs of their children. Okay, that that you have at a a minimum, at least, moms, you have at a minimum partial responsibility for making sure that that happens, that the physical needs of your children are met. But this also means, also means, I think even more deeply means, that you are prioritizing and providing for the spiritual care of your children as well. That there should be a dedication and a devotion towards that end. To live out and to teach your kids the gospel. You have that responsibility. That should be your priority. And that's what we see here happen with Hannah. That there was a season in her life, an intentional season in her life, where this was her purpose and her priority. She cared for her family. And when the time came, again, we don't know exactly how old he was, but we can at least estimate somewhere between three and six. 
It just says Samuel was young. And at that time, it says Hannah brought her son to the temple, to Shiloh, to the same place, by the way, don't, don't overlook that, to the exact same place that she wept, to the exact same place that she prayed. And what does she do? She gives her son to the Lord. She gives him over to service for God. Uh, and I mean like literally drops him off there <laughs> at the temple. He's for the Lord. Yes, okay, we know because the text tells us she still saw him from time to time. Every time that her family would go up to Shiloh to worship, of course she saw her son. It says there that she even still cared for him. She would bring him new clothes when she'd go to see him. So she didn't drop her responsibility for him. She was always his mom. But he was now the Lord's. Hannah keeps her promise. Because there's something that Hannah understands that I want all of us to understand really clearly. God gives children uh, so that we might pour into them and then send them out. I want you to know that, moms, um, even dads, of course. But moms, I want you to know that. God gave you children. He gives children so that we might pour into them, but then turn around and send them out. Psalm 127.4 says this, like arrows, listen, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Parents, that's your responsibility. Moms, that's your responsibility. Pour into your kids. Train them up in the ways of Jesus. And then, as the scriptures say, send them out like arrows. That's what he says. Send them out like arrows into the world to live for Christ. I'll close by saying this. I'm so thankful, personally, I'm so thankful. And some of you are with me. I'm so thankful that I have, I have a, a godly mother. Um, and actually, uh, this sermon is dedicated to her. I know she's watching. Hey, mom. Uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, my mom, my mom, just briefly about her, my mom was told, uh, my mom was told she couldn't have me. Uh, she was done with having kids, well past childbearing age. But my mom, my mom got pregnant with me when she was 41 years old. She was 41. And she went into the doctors, and the doctors actually encouraged her to have an abortion. Uh, they told her, the risk is too high. Uh, you shouldn't keep, uh, keep the baby. That either one of two things was going to happen. Either one, I was going to have a severe disability because uh, she was old. Or uh, she could have very serious complications because of her age. But... Um, she chose to keep me. She did, obviously. <laughs> uh, and when she made that decision, when she made that decision, uh, do you know what she did? This is why I said it's dedicated to her. You know what she did? She turned here in the scriptures, the first Samuel. She studied Hannah's life, and she actually made the exact same promise as Hannah. She told God that if he gave her the son that she was carrying, um, that she would give that son, back to the Lord. So, uh, I'm here today, um, not just alive, living, but I'm here today preaching the gospel (laughs) because of a praying, faithful mother. I'm a missionary. I'm a pastor uh, because of her, because of you. Um, You did this to me. (laughs) You did this to me. (laughs) Uh, But I'm grateful. So, love you, mom. Love you. Uh, Moms, you have a great calling, a great calling, a great responsibility.
Listen, so much is in your hands. It doesn't mean you're perfect. No one expects you to be. It doesn't mean that you're without problems. You're going to have problems. We all do. But consider, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you today. Please consider your perspective. And please consider your priorities. And regardless of what you face, regardless of your situation, regardless of your circumstance, go to Jesus first and go to him often. Let's pray together. Let's pray.